cannot remember. It was a female soccer player, and at a point, I believe there were t-shirts, but it was like, my game face includes mascara. I love that. And it's like, because, you know, so it's just like, yeah, no, like some people, they prep by eating certain foods or doing um, certain stretches before a game, and sometimes it's like, hey, like, I'm going to go out there, and I think mm-hmm. I look great with mascara on, and so I'm going to put my mascara on, and I'm going to go and yeah. dominate the other people. It's- Absolutely. The idea that a woman, being an athlete, has to give up the idea of things that make her feel good as a woman like makeup if that's what makes that athlete feel good go for it if she wants to not wear makeup awesome go for it hi i am dr megan cannon sports psychologist with mind of the athlete and i am aaron sparrow sport nutritionist with mind of the athlete and And you you are are listening listening to the heads Heads and tails podcast welcome back to the heads and tails podcast i'm your host kevin som and each week i bring you an inspiring athlete story of perseverance or expert knowledge in the field of sports health and safety Just like flipping a coin, you can't control what happens to you in sports or in life. You can always control how you respond. This is my response after suffering a traumatic brain injury in a high school football game, and I hope it leaves you feeling both inspired and informed. This episode is brought to you by Necessary Thickness. Necessary Thickness is an idea, an approach, a movement, where the brand's founder preaches healthy bodies and strong minds, recognizing that these elements individually can vary. Thick is a metaphor that encompasses a better and stronger you at work, at play, and at life. It's about embracing your flaws, loving yourself, and making the choices that best yield your own happiness. Necessary thickness is choosing the things in life that move you closer towards achieving your own visions and goals, which makes you the best version of you. To find out how you can express your thickness, go to NecessaryThickness.com. Welcome back to the Heads and Tails podcast. Today I'm bringing you a much different episode than usual because I've been pretty dude heavy lately uh, on the interviews. <laughs> so it's my pleasure to introduce you to Dr. Megan Cannon, a sports psychologist at Mind of the Athlete, and Erin Sparrow. She's a sports nutritionist at Mind of the Athlete, and the hospitality is always top notch here whenever I come to do an interview. So okay. I'm looking forward to this one. But the topic for today is going to be body image concerns in sports, in particular female sports. So uh, it doesn't matter who really starts off. If you guys want to introduce yourself so that we can put a voice to the name, um, (laughs) we we can start with that, and then we'll go from there. And so I am Dr. Megan, and I love doing this topic with Erin. It's a topic we're really passionate about. She and I this past year have created some content specifically for female athletes really touching on body image. Um, Culturally, there's a very big, you know, through marketing, through media, through what we read, advertising, there's there's such an emphasis on thinness and this perfect ideal of a body. And then with female athletes, there is that to an extent with some sports of certain body types being associated or affiliated with certain sports. But then, you know, women require stronger bodies for Mm -hmm to compete at a certain level of athletics. And so it then goes against that thin ideal, thin ideal culturally that we have. And so it's an area that Aaron and I have the opportunity to help athletes out with, um, not only in speaking and presenting education to them, but we also see them in the office. And it's something that we do see some athletes struggle with. So I'm really excited Mm -hmm. that we'll have the chance to talk about this today. Spread the word. All right. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm Aaron Sparrow, sport nutritionist here at Mind of the Athlete. And again, working with Dr. Megan on this has been kind of a culmination of a dream come true for me, to be honest, because I've always seen this need in women to, and female athletes in particular, to develop healthier relationships with their bodies and healthier relationships with their food, because there's so much fear-driven messaging 
around food and the food choices and then negative imaging in our bodies. I can help empower people with knowledge on how food builds health, how you can use your food to build a strong, healthy body that performs well, that's more disease resistant. But I can't handle the psychological piece of the puzzle that comes in with that emotional relationship with your body and food. So to be able to partner with Dr. Cannon on this has been well, a dream come true. Yep. So together, <laughs> it's the perfect combination. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And <laughs> I forgot to say this in the intro, but both of you guys have been on the podcast previously in your own separate interviews. So we'll link that up in the show notes for your, your previous episodes. Um, so just to start off, you know, what are some of the main body image concerns that some of your clients come to you with? Hmm. Well, I get a lot of obvious weight issues. People are always trying to and wanting to lean out. They've got this ideology, this mental perception of what their body should look like. And, of course, they get a lot of that driven from what they see in the media, from other athletes, what other athletes look like, and they're very self-critical. Okay. And in that, they then start to use that imaging pressure, and they manipulate their food intake to try and get their body through their training to look a certain way. And very often, especially with female athletes, they are under-fueling themselves. And so then I get these college athletes in that are in these constant um, injury cycles, and then they hit wintertime, and they're getting sick because their body just doesn't have the resiliency to handle the training and then just the day-to-day stressors. And then you also see an increase in depression and anxiety because if you've got nutrient deficiencies, you're going to feed into those um, mental illnesses, mental issues as well. So, um, yeah, I definitely see the the weight issue and the body image issue impact big time. And with the athlete population, you're already looking at a a a group of very motivated individuals who are used to being critiqued and wanting to get better and a lot of it is measurable results and and things like that. So you put the work mm -hmm. in. Right. And so you're already working with a population that, you know, that just overall is a little bit more type A, a little bit more motivated. And so they are not only evaluating themselves with their, you know, appearance, but then also their performance in their sport. And there's a lot of overlap with that in their minds sometimes. And so, um, you know, you see a little bit of that. And then also when athletes make a transition to college, and this is something that I think we talked about before the podcast, but going into college athletics is now opening a brand new world of weight training and weightlifting. And so sometimes mm-hmm. that transition from high, uh, high school athlete to a college athlete's for With female, no strength training, you mean? Yeah, sometimes in high school they do do strength training, but it's it's nowhere near maybe what a Division One program is doing, right. um, you know, especially on a, a schedule. And there's some amazing strength coaches out there that are really – really doing an amazing thing as Mm -hmm. far as building these stronger bodies for these athletes. But for some of the the women and female athletes, it's, that's a big transition because all of a sudden they're putting this muscle on in a very healthy way Mm -hmm. that they're just not used to filling Mm -hmm. out and and their clothes fitting differently and Mm -hmm. and not fitting into the clothes that they maybe wore last summer and Mm -hmm. and things like that, which mentally is a very, um, it's a hard place. Yeah. And then the number on the scale changes. Mm -hmm. Right. And that's a big trigger for a lot of people. And if they don't, if these female athletes don't understand and have a healthy relationship with what that number really represents, um, it can start to mess with their mind in an unfortunate way. Right. And that was one of my questions is, is it more so the number on the scale? Like when people come to you and they're like obviously struggling with body image, is it more the number on the scale or is it because like, oh no, my stomach, the, the, I don't have six pack abs or like, you know, my butt's getting bigger, you know, like <laughs> what, like, is it, is it more visual 
or like the number that they see that they get like fixated on? I think it's both. I think it's both. I think I think if I had to prioritize, I would say the number first. The number on the scale tends to mess with people first, but then obviously how their body is looking change is also an issue. Okay. So a combo. Yeah. Yep. So you kind of, uh, you mentioned this before about kind of like sports specifics and so which sports in particular seem to come in the most frequently with these body image concerns? Right. There, there are some sports that just naturally lean themselves a little bit more to that. And so you think of some of the sports where are, which are for females a little bit more weight dependent, such as rowing. Um, you know, if you're a coxman on a boat, like the, you, you really have to keep your weight down and there's, there's that component to it. But then you also think of those l- more endurance and distance sports. And so endurance mm-hmm. runners, there is a stereotype of that long lean body type mm-hmm. where you're mm-hmm. tall, you have long limbs, you're typically thin or on the thinner side for the strides and all that mm-hmm. stuff. And so there are some sports that, you know, in, the, in those endurance based sports that we see a little bit more and then also um, and, and a little bit for, as I know we're talking primarily females, but on the male side too, you know, you think of wrestling or a sport that again is, is you're not only, yeah. you're not only competing in your competition, but you're competing versus a scale. And mm-hmm. so, you know, in those types of sports, there's a little bit more of a risk factor there because you have to be so aware and mindful of that number on the scale at, at a much more frequent rate. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's funny that you mentioned the coxswain and crew because <laughs> I did crew for a year when I was at Rutgers and like. I don't know. This might be stereotyping, but I'm like, are they really athletes? I don't know. <laughs> it's like a. Well, I guess if you look at them like a, a horse jockey, right? Like that's I consider yeah. that being an athlete. Yeah, so. they're they're leading the boat, but then they have to like be themselves, like very fit individuals right. to. And think in terms of like leadership, like mm-hmm. they probably got to be the leaders on the the team too, like on the boat, you know. Mm-hmm. So, all right, I changed my mind on that one. Um, <laughs> So, Aaron, yeah. in terms of who comes in to see you, like sports specifically, mm-hmm. are there certain sports that are more nutrition conscious and weight conscious uh, that you, that come into for you? Is it similar to what uh, absolutely Dr. Cannon said? Uh, absolutely, Omega's spot on. Um, definitely, I see a variety. You know, there's the power sports. You've got the football players who are trying to gain and to gain efficiently, so that they've got power producing weight rather than just inefficient weight. So they want to put on muscle and they want to do it efficiently. But I see a lot of endurance athletes who are constantly trying to make themselves lighter so that they can push the bike up the hill and they're not carrying as much weight. You've got runners who are trying to make themselves lighter so that they are not physically heavier to give them more power to put towards their speed. But there's that power to weight ratio. You know, at some point you lose too much weight and you lose the power from your muscles so but unfortunately educating some of those athletes about that ratio and the importance of maintaining some of that muscle regardless of what the number on the scale says at a certain point you get that number too low the muscle density too low and you lose performance right but like dr megan said there's this mental idea that the lighter the cross-country rate runner is the more efficient that they are but there's there's a line that you can cross and you become less efficient for sure. A point of diminishing returns, as absolutely. They say. Ooh, that's nice. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> uh, my mom used to say that to me when I was like studying like too much. I was like, oh, I don't need to study anymore. Perfect. <laughs> point of diminishing returns. We're good. <laughs> I'm gonna ace it. <laughs> I'll go to sleep now. Um, but can you take us through like kind of how you guys work together? So mm-hmm. I mean, obviously patient privacy is a priority, but if you could take us through like an example of how you guys have worked together with a client. So maybe, Mm -hmm. you know, they, the client doesn't understand 
proper fueling and how it's affecting their performance. And then at the same time, from a mental standpoint, like allowing them to like understand it, you know, get away from that, like more is better, you know, kind of mentality. Absolutely. I know from my perspective, again, having a, a psychologist that I can refer clients to is hugely important because I can help them with the food and the nutrient deficiencies, but there is a deep relationship that people have emotional relationship with their food and behavior patterns and emotional triggers around food that sometimes I mean, that's outside of my scope so to be able to send a client over to Meg to help them work through some of those behavior patterns and come up with better tools and you know if I'm working with an athlete who's coming to me because they've got all kinds of illness issues like GI distress issues autoimmune di- things that I'm autoimmune diseases things that I'm trying to help them nutrient wise balance out but that athlete now is not performing the way they used to be and they're experiencing that stress it's so wonderful to be able to go let me tell you about this colleague of mine (laughs) (laughs) who can help you with that because that stress is real and if they're not managing that stress that's undermining their ability to get better physically as well and then from my side when a client comes in and potentially they're either themselves or their parents are concerned with some disordered eating or there's just patterns that there's concern um you know ultimately I have the ability to to work with the athlete and and the behavioral correcting of that but nutritionally I'm much less familiar of you know what an athlete in that position would need and require and Mm -hmm. so then at that point again in a similar way just able to say hey I think this is really it would be beneficial for you to meet with our sport nutritionist just to make sure that you are feeling enough or if they're fearful that they're Mm -hmm. over fueling or what exactly are you doing Um, and so then it's a nice way that we're able to just give and provide our athletes with the resources to make sure that they're healthy and ultimately Mm -hmm. happy and that's you know our goal here is you know the sport performance aspect is one part of it but for every every athlete out there you know there there is a a limit to that there is an end at some point in time and so it's just helping them create healthy relationships with food and behavioral patterns and giving them the ability to just be happy with eating and and Mm -hmm. their bodies and Mm -hmm. themselves so let's talk about some of the foods that you guys have a remote an emotional relationship with What's like the one thing? Me personally? Oh man, potato chips are my kryptonite. Any like in particular like dill pickle potato chips or like barbecue (laughs) potato chips? I just had a good friend of mine introduce me to dill pickle potato chips. My dad loves dill pickle chips. And I tried them the other day. They were all right, but my 15-year-old polished them off before I could really get a solid (laughs) decision whether or not I like them. But I just honestly, I'm all about like homemade dill dip and regular old potato chips. Like Lay's? Ruffles? Um, Not Ruffles. No, just like like yeah like a lays nice and thin okay oh yeah they're totally my kryptonite 100 <laughs> percent. i go i go sour patch kids all the way what? i know i love them i Something i'm more in like the can the, you got like uh, a stash candy. in your office or no no i keep them in the fridge they're good cold That's i don't fair. know my it's cold yeah there's something like you always have in stock i can't i have to be mindful because i will just like i can't i'm not that person that can eat half the bag and then like put it back later it's like i have to just i commit to it and so, is that what you, you know. tell your athletes too? Like, <laughs> if they have, if they have certain, yeah, like, hey, certain it's triggers, all about like, balance, right? It's yeah. all about balance. So I don't keep yeah. it in the fridge, but I get it sometimes. There's my balance. Yeah, hundred <laughs> percent. Yeah, one of the things I'll tell my athletes, like when you're building your nutrition patterns and your nutrition habits, it's like you're building a foundation to build your athletic house upon. And if you're eating healthy on a regular basis, if your main meals of the day are healthy, solid, well-balanced, your body, that foundation can tolerate the Sour Patch Kids every now and then. It's 
100% okay. But if you're trying to build your sound foundation purely on Sour Patch Kids, maybe not so awesome. <laughs> right. One healthy meal doesn't make you a healthy person. One unhealthy snack or meal isn't going to make you an unhealthy person. It's oh, really? really about balance. Because you, you, you said that kefir was great last time we talked. So I've been having kefir ever since then. I thought that was kind of like going to balance me out there. But Well... <laughs> If kefir's the only good thing you're doing, what about what about flavored <laughs> kefir? By the way, um, I don't have a problem. I actually use the flavored kefir with my athletes because the regular recovery. kind is like horrible. <laughs> <laughs> I Tell tried. me how you really feel. Um, I like the flavored <laughs> kefir and I use it. It's a two to one ratio of carbohydrate to protein, um, and I think it's a great pre and post fuel. I know. I started doing it. Yeah, I can't stum. I use the plain in smoothies, but I can't just chug down a big gulp of that yeah, plain kefir. It's, it's rough. <laughs> I'm not that committed. <laughs> All right, so we got sour patch kids and potato chips are are your kryptonite. So, I think we touched on this a little bit before too. How much of body image is or the issues that you guys see with your clients is comparing yourself to other people? So whether that's teammates, whether that's you know, pro athletes supermodels, whatever that might be, how much is it related to that or like, you know, outside influencers like coaches and parents and, you know, those those kind of things in the world of social media that we live in today? It was not just say, you know, in the world of social media that we live in, those external influences are so much so much easier to access you know you have Instagram models you have all of these like professional athletes out there that you know their their work is literally to work out um, that's their job and so they have these physiques that are incredible we were actually just looking at the ESPN body issue before coming in here and you know I mean it's they, they are just there are superheroes you know I mean right. their bodies are just absolutely mm-hmm. incredible but for you know your 19 year old student athlete who has class mm-hmm. and training you know I mean that's that's not your job and so some of it's there's that pressure is it's huge you know we have social media we have friends you have teammates um that's I that's the bigger influence um there are some coaches out there who do have a negative um you know impact on the athletes whether it's through comments um you know parents you know the the comments and the messaging that's sent at home is also a part of it especially um athletes are not just in the development of disordered eating patterns um, if there's an emphasis on you know i feel like fat all the time you know if that's kind of the messaging that's at home um you know that's ultimately something that that athlete or individual is going to internalize and so there's um that as well but at this point you know it's really the overall the, the our culture is really just kind of setting us up for the perfect storm of hey eat all of all of this this really unhealthy stuff because it's that's just what's thrown in our face marketing wise but then mm-hmm. we have the flip side of these just physiques and bodies that it's really a matter of angles and lighting which that's the the, the, the filter and mm-hmm. the, the photoshop and, and all of that stuff which through what we're then consuming uh, through magazines and literally mm-hmm. everything that you turn on the television or drive and even see billboards it doesn't matter where you turn there is a very nice physique person everywhere and mm-hmm. so it's really the, our cultural influences are um at this point I, I feel definitely kind of have a a bigger impact and then it's accentuated then by some of the messaging they're getting from other adults and things in life mm-hmm. so that's how you approach your clients that come into you with like these kind of things like you you bring up the social media aspect of it and kind of put things in perspective Yeah, you know we have to talk a little bit about you know you have you have body image and there's four parts to it you know there's ultimately your your 
perceptual body image and what you you're viewing of your body and for some people base level they just aren't viewing themselves in a certain way then there's how it ultimately makes you feel it's how you think about your body and it's then your behaviors that come from the ways that you think and feel about your body and so there's a couple different components to it and it's it's starting to help educate and being mindful of some of those influences that you don't even realize are happening around you you know if you watch are watching anything and there's you know a minute and a half of commercials how many of them are these like unbelievably like overtly sexualized models mm-hmm. and things that are you know an advertisement for burger king you know and so right. it's it's just mm-hmm. so silly how it in our culture it's just we're not necessarily marketing the things we're kind of marketing bodies and and using that to push a product and so um you know we talk about being an educated consumer and what are you reading what are the things you're talking about with your friends you know instead of focusing on the things that your body can't do or isn't doing how about what your body can do. You know, I mean, if you're an athlete, you're training, you're doing all these incredible things physically that most Mm -hmm. people can't do, but we're so quick to go to the deficits that we have in our physical appearance or, or, or even our performance or whatever it might be. And rather than focusing on the positive. And so we talk a little bit about that and their pattern eatings and, and what their associations with food are, if there are certain triggers and certain periods of time or after certain events that maybe there's a little bit more stress and a person is more, you know, going to go and and go for that food and that's you know speaking a little bit more to the relationship with food but yeah it's you know really just helping educate that person some of the the influences Mm -hmm. that they have while also managing their own behavior patterns awareness of awareness is is there one of the biggest things Erin so I know like there's a lot of fitness Instagram accounts Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. there's probably just as many nutrition accounts too where people are taking pictures of food yeah yeah so how does how does that affect your your job you know, in terms of like what people should be eating or what people think they should be eating? Oh boy. You know, that's a really great question because if anybody was to just do a quick social media or any kind of media um, dive to try and do some research to figure out what to eat, you're going to find a thousand different answers and 20 different contradictory, you know, dairy is good for you, dairy is bad for you, eat all the fat, don't eat any fat. It's all over the place. So it can be incredibly confusing. And one of the things that I really think is starting to happen and that I see with a lot of um, younger athletes in is that they're, they're very confused. And for a lot of these type A athletes who want to do the very best for themselves, for their performance, they start to develop some fearful relationships with food. They start to see foods as good or bad, black or white, one or the other. And um, that can really start to lead trip into some of the the disordered eating. So one of the things I really, really like to try and do with my athletes is demystify some of that media extreme of the this food is 100% all good for you and this food is 100% all bad for you and help them learn kind of the gray area. But all food is pretty much okay. Just we have to find the right balance and teach them and empower them with information about how foods help build health into your body to take away some of that fear, try and replace some of that fear-based messaging that they get from the media and that strive for perfection-based messaging that they get from the media that leads to shame because nobody can eat perfectly 100% of the time. I mean, I ate my, I had potato chips last night. I don't eat perfectly all the time either. So trying to take away some of that shame-based messaging and some of that fear-based messaging and replace it with the power that food has to build health into your body and help them to embrace a more positive 
idea behind food to get away from some of that fear-based messaging that they see all over the place in Instagram and the perfection. That's another thing. I have clients come to me all the time and they want to do meal prep. They want to do advanced prep and they've got these That's pictures. Type a, yeah. Yeah, they've got these pictures in their mind that they see on Instagram of people doing all Tupperware this everywhere. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> and I'm like, "You know what? For me personally, that would be intensely stressful. And if the process is stressful, it's the wrong process. But does that mean advanced prep is bad? No. How much can you do? Can you make one big salad that you can kind of work from for the week? Can you commit to that on a weekend? Great. Do that. Do Give yourself a little bit of help to provide some safety nets and have some food prep done. But don't expect this perfect Tupperware stacked ideal for yourself every day. Even the clients that I have that have tried that, they can do it for a couple of weeks. And then the behavior, it's too much. It's too much stress. Right. People are busy. You guys are both athletes. Yeah. And you guys, I see you guys working out all the time on Instagram. So how do you guys approach your meal prep or meals for the week, you know, in order to like fuel your body, but still mm -hmm. maintain a level of balance? I think it's understanding a little bit of, of the lifestyle and limitations that any person has. And so, um, you know, it's, it's figuring out for you what kind of works. And so for me, I know that on Sunday, you know, I will, I will cut vegetables and I will do the things that ultimately allow me throughout the week to throw a quick salad together or do mm -hmm. something. But that ideal, I mean, I don't even think I would have enough Tupperware to <laughs> you know, have all those meals and that kind of stuff. Um, I know I am a person that I'm okay eating the same thing a couple days in a row. And so if I spend some time Sunday and I'm able to like cook some things, throw mm -hmm. it together, I know for me that's, that's easy. And um, so I'm always typically kind of pushing the quick and convenient stuff and, and, but you know, on a Sunday that maybe that doesn't happen, that's okay. Mm -hmm. You know, I, instead of doing that, I might, you know, ultimately like just go to Panera because we have one across the street. That's kind of a, an easier thing to do sometimes. Alex um, and I are going to hit that up on the way, <laughs> on the way home. <laughs> Shout out Panera. Okay. <laughs> Very nice. Red Bulls for days. Yeah. <laughs> one of the things I do for myself and that I advocate for my clients too, is just always have healthy, quick assemble fuelings on hand. Um, you can't always expect yourself to have time to advance prep. You can't always expect yourself to have time to spend an hour prepping a meal, but you can always assemble a healthy fueling. If you have some, you know, some cottage cheese in your fridge and you have some fresh vegetables in your fridge and you have some nut and some nuts and you can always assemble a quick fueling. It doesn't have to be this intensive, I've prepped this giant meal. You just need to get a fueling into your body. So that's one of the things I always advocate for. I call them nutrition safety nets. Always have some kind of a safety net that you can quickly assemble something. And then I advocate you know, and I do it for myself. I've got, I'm, I work and I've got three kids. My life is busy. So throwing together and making sure that my kids are eating healthy and that I'm eating healthy meals, I have to use convenience products. So I go to Wegmans and I buy the, the vegetables that are already chopped and ready to go because I may not have 20 minutes to chop vegetables for dinner that night. And I use frozen vegetables. I use things that make it convenient and easier for me to get meals thrown together really quickly. And then when I have the time, I make more. So that tomorrow, the next day, I have some leftovers so that I can just keep fueling from that. Cool. The chopped vegetable things, like, makes, I don't know, makes me laugh only because whenever I go to the, the grocery store, like, I always want to get it. I'm like, no, you're too, like, you're just being lazy, Kevin. Like, just freaking cut the damn vegetables <laughs> instead of paying, like, the extra $2. But, hey, maybe now I'll start doing it. I'm like, eh, you know, I don't have the time. I got this podcast thing I do, so... <laughs> Hey, if it increases the amount of frequency that you eat the vegetables, it's worth the investment. I like it. Um, okay. So I think we talked about 
um, earlier that eating disorders are kind of like a more specialized, you need to go to a more specialized like Mm -hmm. form of psychology, I guess. But I I think we touched on this too in our earlier interview uh, a year ago about Mm -hmm. um, in terms of like red flags. So can you guys just talk about the red flags? I guess I kind of picture like, Someone listening to this, an athlete listening to this, a female athlete who may be struggling with these exact, you know, mm-hmm. thoughts in their head. Like, what would you say to, you know, these athletes? Like, I don't know. I don't know if that was specific enough. So are you thinking, like, risk factors for female athletes or things that they should? Yeah, maybe we'll talk about some red flags mm-hmm. and then talk out loud of, like, what you would say to someone with that red flag okay you know I mean with that there's you know I think it's it's ultimately when the patterns become a problem mm-hmm. um it's so it's when if you are for instance as an example we've been talking about meal prep if all of a sudden you can't adhere to a meal or all of a sudden you're maybe out at a restaurant or have you know and then that wasn't what you were anticipating and, and that stress of that change and you know those types of things are red flags where if you're so regimented about certain things that it really becomes a problem for you emotionally if, if all of a sudden you're not able to stick to that plan or schedule um there is the triad i guess of risk mm-hmm. factors for females athletes to look at and that's ultimately um you know disordered eating and so kind of having that very rigid pattern to it and then amenorrhea when we like start losing having your period naturally and so mm-hmm. that's a big red flag for people to look out for um along with if there's some bone problems that's at times i know i in the past i've had a a cross-country athlete who, you know, this this young woman who's you know, 18, 19 years old had a massive fracture in her femur. Mm. Um, and he, it's, you know, the bone density just isn't there. And because they're under fueling, they're not getting the nutrients they need. And so sometimes there's that dehydration and the, the more medical side that, that pops up. And so, um, you know, from a medical perspective, those are a little bit, I guess, deeper things to look for, mm-hmm. you know, period loss and mm-hmm. bone density. Um, but ultimately that rigidity is something that, you know, I think we can all measure within ourselves of, oh man, if, if all of a sudden the thought of not being able to go and get that extra workout in that day or the thought mm-hmm. of, oh my goodness, you know, I went out with friends last night and I had this food when I was anticipating that, you know, if that rigidity is starting to become a problem and causing anxiety, I would say that's a, a very identifiable red flag um, to be able to start thinking, okay, you know, maybe mm-hmm. there's something going on here. And, and ultimately with athletes, um, the, their teammates and friends around them are a huge, huge help in doing that. You know, you see people starting to lose weight very quickly. Um, you know, parents, you're, you're able to identify that with your child. You're able to kind of see what they're, you know, what they look like. And so there's, mm-hmm. you know, not only individually can we identify some of those red flags, but those people around us um, can be helpful in that as well. And just kind of noticing some change in behavior patterns and right. things like mm-hmm. that. Mm-hmm. I think w- when you talk about some of the red flags, like a lot of these are easy to kind of hide, you know? Mm-hmm. And like you said, like you're, the teammates kind of kind of come into play and like have an intervention type thing. But like how many, how often are these athletes who are presenting with these red flags like in denial, you know? A lot. And that's a why the, the eating disordered population is, it is a, it's a challenge to, to identify it and come in. And so, um, so often there sometimes are external factors or people that intervene. I know um, one of my athletes at school, it was actually a professor that had noticed a very significant drop in weight and had called the student services and counseling center. And that was, you know, the, the path of her journey. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's why, you know, I kind of bring up those external influences because sometimes that person is in, in 
they are they are into their pattern. Right. Um, and so sometimes it does take that outside intervention to start getting the ball rolling. And there's there is quite a bit of resistance because you you believe that what you're doing is is right. And for some female athletes and athletes in general, those performance deficits don't necessarily show up right away. Mm-hmm. And so for a while it works. Mm-hmm. what they're doing and right. so it's you know on one hand it's yep. like well you're telling me I'm, I'm not fueling properly but I'm still running really well and so you can maintain that and sustain that for a little while and I think that for the, the athletes mm-hmm. in particular is very hard it's an it, affirmation that the mm-hmm. process is a- appropriate but they hit right. they hit a limit and their body starts to fall apart breaking down yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. so that's like the sign is, is some of the stuff like irreversible like when people have these eating disorders like in terms of like you said bone density and yeah. how it was affected on that and like um the menstrual cycle, like, is it, are these things reversible or? Well, in as far as in, in, you know, the mental health world, eating disorders are one of, or if not the most, like our, our most fatal thing, because oh, some really? people do get their body weight down so low mm-hmm. um, and it's in a very dangerous zone. And so then their body just internally begins to break down. And so sometimes, um, it, you know, it does get too far and some of those, those changes are permanent. Um, however, you know, on the other hand, there are a number of athletes who have been down in very dangerous weights, but have been able through proper mm-hmm. nutrition and health, mm-hmm. being able to bring their bodies back to, you know, where they're re having their menstrual cycles, their bones are good, um, you know, so they are able to then build back their, you know, I know we've mentioned social media a decent amount, but I mean, there actually are some pretty decent um, social media accounts or things that I've seen where it, it was a, a, a girl that had been struggling with weight and who got down to very thin, but now is like, building muscle and Mm -hmm. stronger um and i think those are again you have to kind of be careful with the Mm -hmm. messaging but it's encouraging to see and so you know it's it is possible and so it's you know it's not like all of a sudden if this is something you're struggling with this is now a pox you have for life you know i think Mm -hmm. lou holtman said that the most powerful word in the english language is choice and so you know with the right help and and things over Mm -hmm. time these women are able to to get back on the right path where their choices are now in a direction that's overall just mm-hmm. healthier for their long-term well-being. Yeah, you, your body has a remarkable ability to heal itself, but you have to give it the building blocks and the elements that it needs to heal itself, and that comes from your food. Right. You are what you eat. So there are some, like, it, depending on the age of the athlete and the duration of the 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 eating disorder how long it's gone on how many times they've cycled through it because they'll relapse and there's issues sometimes the bone density can be an issue for a long time depending on if the athlete's already all the way through puberty and what age they are but but for the most part you can you can really you can come back from it does it affect like uh the ability to have children like could it possibly like the menstrual cycle be like completely irreversible no, you, you it that's driven by body fat percentage. Okay. So once you get their body fat percentages back up, their endocrine system will, can start to rebalance themselves back out. And there, there's all kinds of things that, that play into fertility issues. But amenorrhea, once you remediate that, then the fertility should be. Okay. Yep. Um, I don't know how often this is a thing for you guys, but like, do you have athletes who come in that says like, oh, like my coach gave us this you know, nutrition plan or this workout plan and I need to be a certain weight. Like how much I know, like I was very influenced by what my coaches would say. And like, I hung on to every single word that they would say. So how often are like coaches kind of the catalyst for starting, you know, a a body image issue or an eating disorder? 
it I have had some athletes and been you know and ex- exposed to some coaches who do have messaging like that um it's in my experience just in the percentage wise it's it's been a, a small percentage um but it definitely is something that 100% exists mm-hmm. um and so you're thinking of you know it, I'm I'm kind of thinking you know in the world of like gymnastics and things like that you know where there is a very big emphasis on on they don't really wear much and, and what they look like um and ultimately um you know so things like that and some of the other sports I have had you know coaches that say things or um will ultimately have meal plans or just these ideas of hey you should try doing this or I would love to see you lose like five pounds before this you know and I'm mm-hmm. not talking in the wrestling world where that's a little bit more of a commonplace conversation right um and so it, it is something that the athletes that I have seen that have experienced that, you know, it, it is something that strikes a very deep chord with them because with a coach, it's a, an adult that typically you trust, you respect, you, you, mm-hmm. they, you see that they ultimately want the, you to perform the best. And so their coaches are typically, you know, the, the words that they say at times can be gospel. And so it is something that I think, you know, from a, if we're talking from a coach's perspective that coaches do need to be mindful about is how powerful their words are because we have seen some athletes in here where um you know what came first the chicken or the egg we can't really necessarily say but it definitely didn't help mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. and coaches don't always have the most up-to-date nutrition information so a lot of times too some of the information they're giving the athletes might be helping them make a weight goal but it may not be helping to fuel their performance appropriately in the process so matching their nutrition with what their training goals are currently so if you're trying to make a lot of weight adjustments in competition season that can be challenging to do because you're trying to fuel competition so you don't want to be cutting back too much on fueling and creating a fueling deficit in order to create a body composition change so right so they you know, there's there's a lot of pieces so to that puzzle advanced, that sometimes yeah. get overlooked. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Have you ever seen a, a female athletes like be discouraged from even participating in a sport because of like the body image that they need to like withhold in that sport? Hmm. That's a great question. I don't know that I've ever seen that. Mm-mm. Or even like vice versa. Like maybe we talked about softball before. Um, I feel like there's a there's a stereotype that goes with softball, and maybe people who would be good athletes and like want to play softball, like wouldn't go play softball because of, you know, the perception of playing softball or I'm trying to think, like you said, gymnastics, like Mm -hmm. you really put yourself out there swimming, Mm -hmm. you know, you're like, you're pretty exposed, like in terms of what you look like. There's definitely went the more like in an endurance runners as well, because they're in the type like little Mm -hmm. running singlet. Yeah. They wear like underwear to like pretty much and triathletes, volleyball players with the spandex. Oh yeah. 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 So I think that I'm well aware of those. I'm a guy, so. <laughs> oh, I was going to say, are you wearing them or were you observing them? Well, or? only in the privacy of my own home. <laughs> what is your level of exposure? Uh, <laughs> yeah, I think that in those sports, I think especially the younger female athletes that haven't, that are still kind of going through that awkward developing puberty stage where they're not totally comfortable in their own skin yet, and then they're being put out to compete in these, you know, swimsuits I grew up in one it doesn't phase me to see somebody in a speedo but I'm I think that those younger athletes that are more exposed I think it might intimidate some girls from participating in those sports because they have that uncomfortable body image and relationship with their body and it's such a you know it's such a two-way street um 
and I hate saying it again, but you know, what comes first, the chicken or the egg, but you see in some of those sports where then you're into pressure to be in, in an outfit or like your uniform, whether it's a bathing suit or volleyball spandex that are restricting, you're then very aware of what you look like next Mm -hmm. to other people. And so for some that can be a stressor and a trigger and whether that um, deters them from doing the sport or then once involved in the sport, it then just makes them Mm -hmm. like kind of brings on some of the, their concerns of body image, you know? And so it's, there's, there's, so many different pathways in what we're talking about and I think that's why that this challenge of addressing this with female athletes is so large because a number so many people have issues and and body image problems but their their unique pathway of Mm -hmm. and their train of thought of how they got there and to that point is all different and so it's really you know from our perspective helping to just understand that individual and where they're coming from while taking into context the sport and the environment that they're in and you know you, you think about a swimmer it's like well or for, you know, this was one of when I was um, before in, in sports psychology, had a, a female athlete who she was a rower, which is why I kind of brought that up earlier. And she had some disordered eating and had, you know, initially gone to a counselor with the university that she was at. And it was the, the recommendation was, well, stop weighing yourself. Mm. Well, she can't. Because it's it's part of her sport, which she had a scholarship for. And so just like that idea of like, oh, just remove it. It was just mm-hmm. not real in that, that, Blind, <laughs> that yeah, woman's yourself, world, yeah. you know. And yeah. so there's a lot of a lot of factors when working with these athletes and, and people with body image in general that we do need to take into account and into consideration and, and having some of those things like what the perception of, you know, the stereotypical person or individual in a certain sport or the uniform or what they have to wear in front of people, you know, mm-hmm. it's are all things that do. That do play a role for some people mm-hmm. yeah so you you had mentioned the espn the body image or the the body uh magazine before and also we talking about the uniforms like uh, but in pre- preparing for this uh episode i was like thinking about like the evolution of uniforms mm-hmm. and like ha- where they've where they started as compared to like where they are now mm-hmm. and i remember i saw like I was looking up with girls lacrosse uniforms and like the first one was like these long skirts like down below their knees like polo shirts that were like super baggy like sleeves down past their elbows and then I look at them now I'm like you have these tight skirts with these tight tank tops like skin tight like even in men's sports like all the uniforms are like skin tight and like everything mm-hmm. like that so have you like have you noticed an increase in like maybe the uniforms being a, a reason why you know, body image in certain sports is, is a, is a problem. I think with the athletes that we work with, they're kind of in that age cohort that it was just the thing. And so since yeah. they started playing it, cause I, it's just been that way. It's all they know. Yeah. It's all they know. And you know, from the sport performance side, we see it, you know, the benefit of having the tighter yeah. that, you know, it, we, it makes sense, you know, it doesn't necessarily need to be that short or that tight. I don't know. Like there's, pro- <laughs> there's probably a little, a little room there um, for, for a debate, but you know, I think, the culture and the, the age cohort that we see, which primarily being the college and high school athletes, that's literally what they grew up playing in. And so yeah. they don't really know. It doesn't phase them. No, any different, right? Yeah. Do you, I don't know. Do you think that's a good thing or a bad thing? Oh, that is. Because like, it's almost like they didn't have a choice. Right? Yeah, they didn't necessarily have a, a choice at all. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's, it's so interesting to kind of think about. I think that's a that's a great question. Yeah, that is a really good question. All right. Maybe that could be a 
whole nother podcast. <laughs> you know, it's like that's, that's at this point heads and tails taking on the world. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's the idea. I mean, why, why bother if you're not trying to, you know, change the world, right? Uh, do you have any, like, top female athletes who you think are good role models, like, in this body image world? I think I know with body image, things that I've been seeing recently, um, particularly with our most recent female like USA Gymnastics team with Allie Raisman mm-hmm. and Simone Biles, they've had, I think in Sports Illustrated, um, they had a swimsuit issue and they were just talking all yeah. about their, I mean, it really accentuated their muscles and just how powerful these women are. And I know on Allie Raisman's account on Instagram, she has had some posts recently within the last six to nine months about you know, it's some of the, the f- negative feedback that she would get of, you know, boys would tease me saying that my arms were too big, but these were the muscles that mm-hmm. got me gold medals. And yeah. and so she, I think right now is sort of on a powerful. push of, of that. And I think that's a little bit of, from what I can tell, I haven't, you know, I follow her a little bit, but from what mm-hmm. I can tell, she's really, I think, taking a stand and a push with, within that realm um, of the body image. And I think that's an imp- impactful sport for them to be doing that because the gymnastics traditionally has a negative stereotype to it that their athletes are made to be stay skinny they're made to stay thin but the sport has evolved because they uh, these coaches the high-end athletes know if they're under fueled they don't have the power to perform if they don't if they don't have the muscle to to make the ju- to do the flips and to do, to do all these technical skills they're not going to win gold medals. So I love seeing these high-end Olympic athletes speaking to that so that it becomes more of a culture change because you don't always see that farther down the food chain. You don't see that in the smaller clubs that that these girls may still be feeling this pressure to be really thin, but now their idols are like, look, look how, like, I got some muscle. Right, so it's like the shift from, yeah, Yeah. from like skinny (laughs) to powerful. Yeah, exactly. View the muscles as power, right? Yeah, yeah. Totally. Would you say even like a female empowerment type thing, like that kind of movement? Yeah. I think it's it's so interesting and again in something when Aaron and I were putting our, our content together, there there is there has been a shift, I mm-hmm. think, over time and it's slowly growing. Um there's female fitness companies now that are using Oh yeah, Athleta. Athleta, Athleta. Athleta, yeah, they've they've totally changed up their catalog now. They don't um they don't photoshop the images as much and they have legitimate female athletes so they've got women that are athletic looking and you can see their belly like they still have a little bit of abdominal fat they're not like totally ripped because you know what we need that as women we need a higher body fat percentage and they've got um, strong powerful beautiful women that aren't this overly skinny perfect athlete archetype but they're still powerful strong athletes so yeah i love that you're we're starting to see more of this in prominent media for women athleta shout out yeah Yeah, and their mannequins too i think are are not the size zero they're Mm -hmm. making them more well is this like publicized like that they're making this shift it was in january i think right they came out their new catalog their new catalog came out in january and they had this woman who's in her 90s who's Mm -hmm. like a yoga instructor right and she was their cover their cover model and then it was it was awesome it was awesome and now athleta is pushing a lot of their marketing also into the young female athlete because they've got athleta girl and you see it all throughout the athleta girl catalogs too that you've got 
girls all different sizes and I and they're all happy they're running they're being active it's it's great imagery for this population of girls to be seeing cool I'm really happy with it you know my girlfriend's a big athletic fan she there's one right in our our town right on the corner so she's, yeah she's a frequent shopper <laughs> yeah I'm guilty of the same thing <laughs> <laughs> um we had talked about this a little bit before the interview uh in terms of Jenny Finch I just know her like she sticks out in my mind for whatever reason just because she's like this big beautiful blonde pitcher like very mm-hmm. powerful like we we're talking about mm-hmm. like she's in, an empowering person so do you think that that makes it that creates the problem in that people who play softball think that they need to look like Jenny Finch or do you think that it's a good thing to like break down barriers i guess like in the sport and kind of like de stereotype the the sport that's a really good question, but you know, I think honestly what we need to focus on is she's strong, she's who she is, and she's doing a great job, and she's putting positive, um, she mentors girls, she coaches younger girls, and she's feeding into growing more empowerment into these younger generations of softball players, and I think that messaging is, I'm sorry, I think that messaging is way more important than how she looks. Okay. I think how she's living her life and how she's pouring into these younger generations right. is hugely important. Cool. Yeah. Megan, any thoughts? Or yeah, no, I agree. I think it's, it's you know, it's so interesting when we think about, like, again, culturally, it's like, okay, if we took a step back, would we be having the same discussion over, you know, if there's, you know, because there's, there's very big difference in the physiques of football players, you know, depending mm-hmm. on the position that you play and, and things like that. So you have some, you know, very like fit buff, really amazing looking dudes. And then you have some just like very big guys that are, you know, their weight is there, but it's not necessarily in like, you know, our cultural idea of a good place to have it. And so, mm-hmm. um, but you know, we don't always talk about it in that way. And so I think it's, it's cool to see, and it represents just in all sports, they're, they're, even though we do have these ideals of what we might think a certain athlete would look like, there is nothing, you know, of that, mm-hmm. of a, a certain stereotype. I mean, yes, there, there are being tall and being a volleyball player is definitely better than being short and being a volleyball player. You know, like there are just like <laughs> certain facts about the sports. Right. Um, but I think it's, you know, I think it's just interesting and really just speaks to our culture and how we, we put people in, in situations and things in boxes. And so then it becomes that when at the end of the day, whether you're, you know, a 300 pound, football player or like lineman or you're the running back like you're a great athlete and same thing mm-hmm. when we're talking about like a jenny finch versus you know other female athletes um it's ultimately what they're doing and it's you know we we need to start like taking away the physical i think mm-hmm. the emphasis on on the physical stuff and ultimately focus on holy crap like this woman has arm of fire it's right. incredible like mm-hmm. you know it's 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 really impressive what she's doing and what she's done right shift mm-hmm. back to the power thing again mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so instead of her appearance what's her behavior and she's pretty seems pretty rock solid right mm-hmm. and then i mean that could make my next question obsolete but i know there's like like some athletes female athletes wear like makeup to their games and stuff like that like mm-hmm. do you think that goes against that power like ideal in you know, female sports? I think sports it's amazing. Or? I think I saw there was, I cannot remember. It was a female soccer player. And at a point, I believe there were t-shirts, but it was like, my game face includes mascara. I love that. And it's like, cause you know, so it's just like, yeah, no, like some people, they prep by eating certain foods or doing um, certain stretches before a game. And sometimes it's like, Hey, like I'm going to go out there and I think mm-hmm. I look great with mascara on. And so I'm going to put my mascara on and I'm going to go and dominate yeah. the other people. And Absolutely. The idea that a woman 
being an athlete has to give up the idea of things that make her feel good as a woman, like makeup, if that's what makes that athlete feel good, go for it. Right. If she wants to not wear makeup, awesome. Go for it. I think it even like speaks back to, sorry, I like, totally cut you off, but like, okay. um, <laughs> of again, like kind of our culture and putting it in boxes where it's like, mm-hmm. oh, if you're an athlete, you have to be this, like, yeah. you, you can't like wearing skirts ever and you have yeah. to, you know, rub your face in dirt. But if you're not an athlete, well, then you can wear dresses and mm-hmm. wear makeup and, and that they, those, that intersection never happens. But in reality, you know, you see, mm-hmm. it's amazing, you know, I know, like coming off of the ESPYs, you know, it's. You see yeah. all of these like really women that are and I, you see working out, but they just are beautiful, and so it's, I love that we have to cross it. I've, I'm a little bit older than Megan, and I've lived through this idea that as a female athlete, you need to look like one of the guys to be considered like and looked at as being like an athlete. And I think that that takes away so much of our femininity and our feminine strength. You can be beautiful powerful strong and be an amazing athlete at the same time you don't have to sacrifice one for the other unless you want to and you feel more comfortable being the other way i don't think that we need to be drawing these cultural extremes and i don't think we need to be putting on women this idea they have to sacrifice some of their femininity to be seen as a powerful athlete now that you're a division one athlete you are not allowed to wear mascara <laughs> you have to as you're, you're signing your recruiting paperwork your ability to wear blush no is sparkly now gone. nail polish <laughs> forget about ever putting your eyebrows on again I, you must be a dude when i was listening to you guys <laughs> when i was listening to you guys uh talking i was thinking of like how hypocritical it is with like appearance and uh, you know i've heard the, the saying like you look good you play good kind of thing like you want to feel confident in like mm-hmm. how you look like I've played football, you know, growing up and in high school, like you always do the mirror check before you walk out of the locker room. <laughs> like you always like make sure you got your eye black good, your wristbands are in like the right place on your arm. <laughs> like it's an aesthetic thing. Like yep. and I think sports mm-hmm. are almost like an art form and like in that aesthetic, you know, way. And like I worked at Rutgers football for four years of my life and like there's literally like a huge box full of all these wristbands that like do absolutely nothing other than the guys look they think thinks that it make makes them look good and like accentuates accentuates I'm really struggling with talking here <laughs> accentuates <laughs> yeah accentuates their muscles like which they like it does like it I don't know it looks you know mm-hmm. the the aesthetics of of, yeah. of looking good look good you play good so I'm like how can you say that like putting eye black for a Friday night game like is you know, there's no performance enhancement in doing that other than mm-hmm. an intimidation factor. And like, you think that you look cool. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, why is that not okay for, you know, a female athlete to wear mascara Absolutely. if she wants to? Yeah, Absolutely. Yep. And that's one of the things like I can remember going back to Athleta. I really have a love, love relationship. They are not Athleta. paying us for any of those. <laughs> no, they aren't. <laughs> but I love that as a female athlete now, I can have functional performance athletic clothes and I don't have to look like a dude doing it because I like feminine clothes so and I am an athlete I can throw down but I don't have to sacrifice being feminine in the process so you're laughing at me that is my favorite thing you've said today I can (laughs) throw down and I like being pretty while I'm doing it totally and there's nothing wrong with that we're not small dudes we're women and we should be allowed to be women and small dudes (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> it's 
truth. So small weird. dudes out there. <laughs> small dudes out there. Sorry. We are not you. <laughs> you can wear your clothes. You don't. We'll wear ours. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So as we wrap up, I know you guys work together frequently on this topic. Can you tell? <laughs> yeah. You guys have good rapport. I like that. Uh, yeah. Is there anything that we didn't touch on today that you think would be beneficial for someone, you know, struggling with body image issues or even coaches or parents or anything that we haven't touched on today that you think you want to be heard to the world? I don't think it's anything that we haven't touched on. I just think it's ultimately the the overall idea of being aware. You know, just be aware of the things that you're consuming, a.k.a. just by watching TV or driving or even, you know, when you're talking with your friends, are you talking about – you know, that meal that you wish you didn't have or that shirt on that girl that looks so good, but like you could never pull it off, you know? And so it's just starting to be aware of the things and the influences that we're letting into our lives mm-hmm. and those messaging versus the more positive stuff um, and, and pointing us all, you know, body image or otherwise in a direction that's helpful for us mm-hmm. and not, not as hurtful. And so I think it's being aware and being open to different ideas and, um, you know, whether it's nutritionally and what you're putting in your body or the things that you're exposing yourself to, it's just, it's just being aware of, of building healthy habits. Mm-hmm. Great. Absolutely. And I think along with the lines of building those healthy habits is learning how to build a healthy relationship with food, approaching food from an empowering perspective rather than a black or white, good or bad, and trying to find that healthy balance that works well for you and for your body and to walk away from some of that fear-based messaging that we see. Um, a lot in media around food and weight. Well, thank you, ladies. I really appreciate you um, living, you know, or embodying exactly what you guys preach every day to your clients and to really helping redefine, you know, what I guess femininity is in sports and kind of shifting that mindset to like a more powerful, like not skinny isn't like the cool thing, you know, being powerful and, Mm -hmm. you know, empowering women all around the world. So... I thank you guys for sharing your knowledge on the show. Well, thank you for having us back. This was fun. Yeah, it was fun. You deserved it, so. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks, Kevin.